0: Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a study called "King Me." Uh, and what we did, we took two weeks, and we did I just try to do a flyover of the Bible to show kind of one theme. And the theme is from Genesis 1, and we ended actually in Revelation 22, where it says that we will rule and reign with Jesus forever. The theme that I see is that our destiny as image bearers of God is that we will one day join with God in ruling and in reigning on creation. Now, what that looks like is gonna be different than kind of the narrative we've been sold about what kings and queens do today. And we're gonna look at that slowly as we go through this list because we ended up um, camping on a text. And so if you would turn with me to 2 Peter chapter one, verse three. This is our text where I think it gives both sides of what we're supposed to be, that we become something because of the gospel. But in addition to that, we're called to grow into what we will become as kings and queens. That, it's called eschatological authenticity, living our destiny as kings and queens for Jesus. All right? So, 2 Peter, Chapter 1, verse 3. "'His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature.'" image bearers, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. That's what God does. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We flourish. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we look at and think through what you have granted to us and how we are to grow into that. So give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, recapping a bit, the gospel gives us a new identity, a new design to be kings and queens. But with that identity, we need growth. And that's what this text is saying. You've been granted this thing. Now grow into all these qualities, virtue, knowledge, Self-control, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And I look at this kind of vocab list, I think to myself, like we don't use these words that much anymore. Like if someone said, Hey, what do you think of me? You're steadfast. Right? Bro, you've got virtue. Hey, don't you dare call me that, right? It'd be like, what is that? So there's been a change, I think, in the vocabulary that our culture has presented to us. And it's changing more and more every year. Like, we don't use these terms anymore. And if you're saying, Matt, come on, I don't believe you. I'll prove it to you. Has anyone heard of Google n Hey, I got to teach you something today. Here's what Google has. Google has this massive amount of information. So they process it in these really cool ways. An N-gram is this they will tell you how often a word has been used over the last 200 years. So you go to Google Ngrams, you just type in a word or any phrase less than five words long, and it will search every single one of their books and tell you how often that word has been used over the course of 200 years. Isn't that brilliant? Okay, so you can just grab like some of these words right here, put it into Google Ngram, which is what I did, and say, do we use that word anymore? So you're going to have to probably lower this screen. And I, I put in some of these words, had Google graph them, and then just took a screenshot of them. Oh, they're right here. Okay. So is this one virtue? Yeah, look at, do we use virtue anymore? No, did we use virtue 200 years ago? Oh, totally. We use it all the time. You see this steady decrease in the use of just a pretty, I think, important word called virtue, All right? Let's try another one. How about godliness? Yeah, almost zero. Like, well, we'll just give it just a little, like, look at how small that percentage is, 0. 0.000010, right? It's between that and zero. So it's like, we just don't use that word anymore. So our vocabulary is disappearing. How about, let's use maybe a generic word like gratitude. How's gratitude? No. Like we don't use like thankfulness, gratitude anymore. This very important way of looking at the world. Our culture is saying, nah, not a worthwhile word. All right. How about bravery? No. Like we don't use bravery. Bravery used to be like a core thing that kids were taught. Be brave, right? be noble. Nah, we don't really want to use that word bravery anymore. So those are the words that are decreasing. What word do you think might be increasing? So I typed in self. (laughs) Yeah. All right. What what are we using more and more and more? How about self-esteem? Almost nothing, right? Till 1960. And then just, and, and I love this little dip right here in the 1980s. You know what that is? The crash, Black Monday, November of 1987, the largest single drop in the New York Stock Exchange. What happened on that day? Maybe we're not as great as we thought we were, man, right? (laughs) Collectively, we're like, oh, bummer. Just amazing. Just continues to skyrocket. So what is happening in our culture is this. The words that are actually being used are now redefining culture and redefining what we talk about. We, we have a change in vocabulary. So when I look at this list, I think we need to look at these words and start pushing back against a culture that's trying to squish us into this kind of mold that says, we don't, we don't talk about these words anymore. We talk about self and self-esteem, that kind of stuff, All right? So the first word that we encounter in this list, as you go down it, is make every effort to supplement Your faith, faith. Now, what's faith? There's all kinds of verses that you can go to in the Bible. One of my favorites is Matthew chapter nine, where these four guys grab this crippled friend and they bring him to Jesus. And it says that Jesus saw their faith. Now, how do you see faith? Because the Western mind has defined faith as kind of like a collection of ideas that you arrange in your brain. Now, how did Jesus see the collection of ideas that these men had arranged in their brain? By their actions. See, Matthew 9 tells us faith acts, that these four guys so believed, so had arranged in their mind, if we can just get our crippled buddy to Jesus, everything's gonna change, that they carried him on his bed for miles, found a house where Jesus was inside of it, but there were so many people around it, they climbed up on the roof, jackhammered through the roof, and lowered their buddy in front of Jesus. And Jesus said, man, I see your faith. And the guy gets healed. So faith is not just ideas in our head. Faith is a way that we act and respond to those concepts and ideas. So you could go there. That's a really great way to define faith. Or you could go to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter on faith, where I see in that chapter faith thinks. So a hundred years ago, Mark Twain defined faith like this. He said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. So he was, you know, not necessarily the most Christian of men, if you know his story. He was atheist. And so he's like, you guys just believe in what you don't really, what you know is not so. Well, Hebrews 11 just says, no way faith thinks. Like you look and you're supposed to study and you're supposed to learn and you're supposed to put this stuff together that faith is not not blind, right? It's learned, it looks, and it knows. So you can look at those definitions, but even, even like the definition Mark had, faith is not is believing what you know ain't so? You know that's changed today. Here's the definition of faith today it's not from Mark Twain, it's from Zach Efron. If you don't know who he is, praise the Lord. Okay, in High School Musical, he sings this song, it became a, a, a very popular song, and a line of the song says this The answers are all inside me. All I've got to do is believe that's faith today. That faith is kind of this internal kind of thing that, ev- that everybody has. Everybody has faith. And you just have to learn how to tap into that little thing inside of you. And then you're going to just do brilliant things. All the answers are inside of Zach Ephron. I just think, really? Man, that's awesome. Cause I'd love to know you. How should I invest Zac Ephron? Cause all the answers are inside you. Will the beavers beat the ducks in the civil war? Should I watch it this year? I'd like to know that because all the answers are inside you, right? So there's this kind of crazy way that faith is being defined. And so we could go to verses, but my hope is this. I learn best, and I think most people do, not through theology. We often learn best through examples, like watching other people that have walked this thing out well, and then we kind of look at their life and say, hey, that reminds me of some ways that I could live as well. So that's my hope in this series is not so much a theological, yes, there's theology in it, but more a practical, look at these men, look at these women that were kinged or queened in life. They lived in such a way that they demonstrate these qualities, okay? So turn with me to what I think is the best example of faith in the Bible, and it's the book of Daniel. So turn, to me, turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter one, where I think we see some lessons that says, this is how you walk this thing out. So Daniel 1, let me give you the backstory of Daniel. For 800 years, God had called this nation, planted them in a land, and God had told them, listen, don't be idolatrous and don't be unjust. Because if you are, I'll kick you off this land just like I did the people before you who were idolatrous and unjust. Take care of the poor, love people, care for them worship me alone. Well, you know their story over 800 years, they continually fail in that thing. So eventually God says, okay, fine. Babylon comes, defeats Judah and Israel. And and in that first defeat, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar grabbed up the cream of the crop, took them from Jerusalem, Judah, back across the desert to the city at the time, Babylon. Now, we're we're 2,600 years removed from this, it would be shocking for them. Like the shock of a Judean youth who grew up in kind of Israel, all of a sudden being transplanted to Babylon, the city of the world. It'd be like this. I was a missionary in a country called Vanuatu. And Vanuatu, the... The United Nations says it is one of the least developed countries in the world. They're just backwards. They're, 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 I had no running water, no electricity, no car. I had to hitchhike into town. Just you live very primitively. And like, here's an example of wh- how they view America. So uh, they think America is just another island. So they live on a little island, and everybody knows everybody. And when you get over there, th- they know about celebrities. Here's how. Like, do you know what a face shirt is? It's like a picture of a giant face. Every ever seen like, like Tupac or like Michael Jordan or Madonna? Like just, a, like they're the most ridiculous shirts. Everybody in Vanuatu has face shirts. And I, and I, asked, I said, why is that? And this businessman told me, he goes, whatever shirts don't sell in America, they put them in a shipping container and they bring them here. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, no one's wearing a face shirt of Madonna. So, okay, that's why you have that shirt. So they kind of know like these celebrities or, or people like that. And they would always ask me like, hey, Matt, do you know Michael Jordan? I'm like, well, it's not like here. It's not like everybody, we're like on an island where everybody knows each other. So it'd be like taking that guy with that kind of perspective and then transplanting him from Vanuatu to Los Angeles. What's gonna happen to him? He's just, the technology, it's just gonna overwhelm him. All right, that's what happens to these guys. They're they're in Vanuatu and they're transported to Babylon, like unbelievable, okay? So that's the backstory. Listen to this. Well, pick it up. There is a pressure that Babylon begins to put on these young men. They're probably 14, 15 years of age. Imagine your 14-year-old with that kind of pressure. Removed from you, removed from community, removed from faith, removed from all those things and transported to somewhere like Babylon. Just imagine that. So here's what happens. Verse 3. There's an attack, number one, by Babylon, by this big culture, The attack number one is on the mind. Look at verse three. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The very first attack of Babylon, if you would, that culture is to press the minds of these four young men, probably a lot more than that actually, of these young men into their mold. So they are immediately enrolled in the university of Babylon, also known as Southern Oregon University or Oregon State University or any of them, right? They all have kind of a bent. So they have a three-year program and it's to Babylonize these young men. We want you to parrot us, talk like us, do what we do. Doesn't culture have that same pressure today? Isn't that really what culture does? You see it with kids. We're going to try to press you into our mold. Advertisements. Do you know in the 1970s, the average person in a city would see 500 advertisements? Do you know how many we see today? 10,000. Because of social media, you know, they're always, just, they're just flashing across ads and every ad is saying this. At its very core, every ad is saying this. Life, is fill in the blank. If you only had this, if you only did that, if you only attained that, you would get life, right? If you only had these kind of teeth or this kind of hair or this kind of a body, or if you only drove that kind of a car, or if you're only able to drink beer on a beach with a bunch of girls in bikinis, you would have life. That's the essence of our culture, trying to compress us into its mold. So how do you combat that? 10,000 of those a day. You know how? I say you go to a funeral or go walk in a graveyard because there's the advertisement life and there's what I call the eulogy life. And they are radically different, aren't they? I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals. I've heard a lot of people talk at funerals. I have never once heard somebody say, oh, bro had the best hair, man. Donald Trump would be jealous. He had that kind of hair, (laughs) right? You just don't hear that at a funeral because it's not what matters. In a funeral, you hear what really, really matters. On top of that, we have this media pressure now, constantly bombarding our minds. And it's not even advertisements. It's just kind of saying, hey, look at me. And if you look at me and look how happy I seem to be, then be like me. Right? Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. I just put them all together and I just say it's InstaFace because that's what it essentially is. It's InstaFace, my face. I call selfies selfishes. I get some people mad at me, some of a certain generation. They're like, why do you call them selfishes? I mean, you had pictures. I say, yeah, you're true. I did have pictures. I carried pictures around in my wallet on business trips and I would actually pull the pictures out and I would show them to people. But I said, guess what the pictures were of? They weren't of me. Like, here's a picture of me. This is one of my favorite pictures of me. Look at me at the beach. Look, this this is such an awesome picture of me, right? I didn't do that. They were pictures of other people that I cared about. That's the difference to me. Like, these things are self-promotion. And I'm not 100% against social media. I'm 99.99% against it. There are good parts to it, but we have to just be careful with it because it's really pressing us into this mold. Look like this. Act like this, reveal this, do these things. And you have to be careful, okay? So step number one, let's press them intellectually in their mind into our mold. Pressure number two, it comes in verse five. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Pressure number two, not just the mind, it's now on the body or physically. And if you know the story of Daniel, it goes on. And what happens is Daniel then has this test because he doesn't want to eat the king's meat. And his test is, hey, feed me veggies instead. You guys know that story? And when I read it, I always think that's troubling because what a sad way to live, right? Only eating, could you imagine that? No bacon. Like what a soy con or whatever they have. I don't know what's even out there as a substitute. What a sad way to live. So you've got the king now and what he's saying to these guys is this. If you play your cards right, you're in Babylon now. If you play your cards right, you'll eat like this, you'll party like this for the rest of your life. I'm holding out for you. I'm dangling out a little lure. If you do this right, ooh, you're gonna do this for life. And I think as believers, especially with kids, we have to be really honest about Babylon. That Babylon puts out a spread, no doubt about it, right? It can often seem like, the way of Jesus is veggies and Babylon is a 4th of July barbecue, right? That's the way it's presented like, oh my goodness, the way of Jesus is like eating celery while they're over there tri-tip and enjoying themselves. And we gotta be honest with ourselves, okay, totally. And I think the Bible is really honest about the way of Jesus, right? That's why the book of Job is in here, right? Right? why else is the book of Job in the Bible? There are these people that say, Matt, the Bible is put together. I just talked with one for a long time, a couple weeks ago. The Bible is put together, Matt, to control people, to get people into the church and then to put the screws on them and to control them. And my answer every time to that kind of person is this, why the book of Job then? Why would they include that book? I'm leaving that out if I'm trying to control people, right? Job does everything right. God says he's the most godly man on earth and his reward, all his kids die, all his cows are stolen, and a tornado wipes out all his houses. And the only thing he's left with is his wife. Huh. Come, follow Jesus. Lose everything but your nagging wife. Oh, Sign me up for that. That's a way to control people. No way. The Bible's really honest. Yeah, there's there going to be Job times fully. But we also have to be honest about this. We preach the gospel, not because it's easy. We preach the gospel because it's true, period. This is truth. And you integrate your lives with truth and you will flourish even when you go through Job-like times. That's the big story of the Bible. That all these things, it's like ingredients that God uses for this finished product that's gonna be brilliant. And sometimes it's sugar and sometimes it's baking soda, but the end result is flourishing, brilliant. Sin is pleasurable for a season, I'll give you that. Eating at the king's table and drinking his wine, man, that's fun for a while, but the end is clogged arteries and a heart attack. And so you gotta have that goal in end. All right, so attack number two is the body. Look what we have to offer you, yeah. And the attack number three is spiritual. Look at verse seven. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego they changed their names. Now this is not because in Babylon, they couldn't pronounce their names because they were foreign. This is something totally different because each one of their names it means something. Daniel means God is my judge. His name is protect Marduk's life. So it is really a spiritual attack. Your identity used to be followers of Yahweh, but now we are changing that. You're under the rule of our God now, Marduk. Our God beat your God. That's why you're a slave in our city. That's what they're saying. It's a spiritual attack. You no longer identify yourself as a servant of Yahweh. Now the very names we call you are gonna show that you are ruled by our God. Doesn't that happen? As believers, sometimes aren't we ridiculed you believe in Jesus? Do huh. you believe in Santa Claus? Or Richard Dawkins, very famous atheist? Oh, do you believe in that flying spaghetti monster? That's the way he puts it? Are you getting ridiculed? You believe in the Bible? Really? An antiquated book? It's the same idea. This ridicule that happens spiritually to us. Here's what I love about Daniel. When he writes about himself, he never uses Belteshazzar. He always uses the name Daniel. It's like a little subtle way of him sticking it to the man. Oh, you can rename me. It does not matter. It doesn't change who I am. I am still Daniel. God is my judge. I'm serving him. Love that. Daniel 1, 1 through 7. Brilliant. How, Matt, this doesn't make any sense for us today. Oh, I think it does. Let me tell you a little story. Maybe you've heard it before got a young man, his name is Phil. Sorry if your name is Phil. Change it to Bill or Will or something that's not your name, any ill you want. All right. So guy's name is Phil. Grew up in a small town, good family. Mom and dad loved each other, loved them, cared for them, nurtured them, helped them. They belonged to a church. They were part of a church. He went to a high school group, loved high school group, involved in it, loved Jesus. Then one day he goes off to Babylon, leaves, goes to school, whatever, goes to a big city. He's there for a while, doing really well, plugged into a college group, loving it, telling people about his faith, telling people he's a believer, loving. But then he gets invited to a party. He gets invited to feast at the king's table. And he goes there and, and he doesn't really drink and he doesn't do anything. And he's a little bit kind of put off by the way the girls are being treated at this party. And, and he, he's just kind of uncomfortable with it all. And he, and he leaves and, and he's invited back a couple weeks later. And he goes again. And on the third time he has a beer and the fourth time he has two and fifth time he has four. And he gets a girlfriend and the girlfriend is from a different kind of faith, no faith. And she's physically aggressive. And pretty soon they move in together, get the same apartment. And now he's drinking a bit more beer and she smokes some pot and he smokes a little bit here and there. After nine months, he goes home for a little bit and he comes into my office and feels lost. And he's crying and wondering what to do. See, I hear that story, the Daniel story, yearly. I hear it yearly. This is not 2,600 years ago. This same thing is repeated every single year in our country where Babylon wins Attack of the mind, attack of the body, attack of the spirit every year, Babylon wins. So how do we then, number one in that list is faith, how do we then start saying, wait a second, what are we gonna do? Notice what, what Daniel does, it's brilliant. Verse eight, Daniel, I think in each way, mind, body, spirit combats this thing. And he walks out faith in a way that I think is re- we can replicate We can look at this and say, hey, that's pretty simple. All right, so number one, the mind. Verse eight, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He does this before he ever sits down at the table. Right? Right? The battle Daniel wages is before there's ever the table set before him. He has made a decision. I am resolved. I will not eat the king's meat. He put a line in the sand. I don't go any further than this. I'll learn from you guys. I'll learn your language. I'll take your name. But this is a line in the sand I do not cross. Do you have lines in the sand? Where you've made resolution No. My wife and I do for our family. I'll give you a simple one. Movies, entertainment. Movies aren't inherently bad. Some movies are. So my wife and I have just made these kind of resolutions. What we'll watch with our family cannot do these things. And there are times we've made that line in the sand and in the middle of a movie, we just shut it off. All right, I'll give you an example. So I have like a nostalgic way of remembering. Do you have that too? Like you remember movies growing up and you think, it's such a great movie. And you watch it, and you're like, oh my goodness. I had no idea. <laughs> your, your mind like scrubs the bad parts. So we, we rented like Back to the Future. That's what we rented. It was a couple of years ago. I, yeah, you got to watch Back to the Future. It's a great movie. Um, within the five, first five minutes, uh, they had used the Lord's name in vain so many times, GD, so many times, I just shut it off. I said, no way, we're not doing this, Sorry. What was amazing, we had rented it on Amazon. Amazon refunded my money. I called it a sin offering. I'm like, thank you for the <laughs> sin offering. <laughs> we already knew, though. We don't do this. Okay, you jumped over the line. All right, we're done with that movie. And my kids are all bummed, bond- oh, I want to watch that movie, you know? Sorry. Sorry, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. We're, we've made lines in the sand way before we get to the table because then it's too late. That's what he did. He resolved Young men, do you have lines in the sand? Young ladies, do you have lines in the sand? Mom and dad, do you have lines in the sand? I have a saying, if you don't resolve, your faith will dissolve. That's what happens. If we don't have some clear cut, this is what God has told me to be. And you're waiting for the attack. Oh, oh, good luck with that. If you don't resolve, you will dissolve. Step one was he, in his faith, made some resolutions. I don't do that. It's amazing to me. It's almost like Daniel was planning on being tempted in Babylon. And he had a plan worked out to battle those temptations. Do we have plans to battle temptation? Like we plan for everything now, vacations, how to buy a new car, New Year's Eve resolutions. We have cell phone plans. We have plans for everything. One year plan, five year plan, 10 year plan, 80 year plan, whatever it is. We have all these plans. Do we plan on being tempted? Because you will. Daniel did and he dominates in it. Plan, resolve if you want to make it in Babylon. Number two, there's a body. Notice verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice they use their godly names. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over them Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Four guys. It was Daniel. He made this resolution. But verse 11, he found a community, a body, if you would. Three buddies who said, Daniel, we agree with you. Daniel, we're going to walk the same way as you. You've got to have a community. You've got to have a body if you're ever going to withstand the onslaught of Babylon. You will not do it alone. It's this thing called the body of Christ. I have a saying for this one as well. Amputation leads to accommodation. If you get amputated and cut off from the body of Christ and you're on your own, you will begin to accommodate Babylon. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I think the body is the perfect metaphor because if a hand gets cut off from the body, the body's handicapped but still alive, the hand dies. I've seen this happen so many times. Young people get cut off from the body and they go down. So Daniel grabs three other guys. Most likely, there was probably a hundred Hebrew men, a hundred of these other guys like Daniel, like them, a hundred. But only four said, we won't eat of the king's meat. The other 96 accommodated and they disappear from history. And we never hear from them. These four guys stood strong with each other. The number one thing I tell the young college students that are going off, I tell them, it's your crew. It doesn't really matter what Babylon you go to. You can be in a really bad spot like Babylon, the worst, most evil city in the Bible. But if you have three buddies who are like, we are savage believers in Jesus Christ, you will flourish there. Find Believers who are savage Christians. Parents, notice, when did these four guys come together? When life was easy? When things were good? No. They came together in a crucible of suffering. Sometimes we have to let our kids suffer. Sometimes we have to actually push them into places where we say, yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's not going to be easy but it's gonna be good. And who knows what will happen in this crucible of suffering who God will bring around you so that you dominate. Send your kids on the mission field. Send them to do great and crazy things. Plug them in with savage other Christians. Be looking for them. Get them involved in uh, our high school group. We're sending a group to Puerto Rico in spring. Send your high schooler on that. Who knows what God can do with those kind of times? Do that. I do not believe personally we would have Daniel if it was not for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He would not have survived by himself. You gotta have a body, number two, a community. And as a church, staff, we've we've actually committed a ton of our resources to community groups. We're saying this is so important, because of the direction kind of of our country, and you can see this onslaught, we have to really start saying, we need Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego around every believer at Edgewater Christian Fellowship. That's how we're gonna do super well. So we're really working on that. You'll hear that ramped up. The last one though is spirit. So he resolves, he gets a crew with him, but notice what begins to happen. Verse nine, starting to sniff. And God gave Daniel, who gave Daniel? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Then skip down verse 15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Now, is that because of diet? Or is that because of divine intervention? Don't know, doesn't tell us. Seems to be divine. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all vision and dreams. And then lastly, verse 19. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore... They stood before the king. They're top dogs. They get kinged. It's the spirit. Daniel and these three guys resolve, we will not do that. And then I believe God gets involved and says, awesome. Let me open up some doors for you. We resolve and God gets involved. And it goes back to this dance that Christians always do between God's sovereignty on one hand and human responsibility on the other hand, right? That dance of, is it God doing everything and I just kind of sit here? And some people do that, just waiting for God. How you waiting? I'm on my couch watching Netflix, eating Doritos. Oh, how's that working for you? I watched every Star Trek episode twice. Oh, that's awesome, man. Praise God for that. And the other side is, it's all up to me. You get these legalistic kind of people that you don't want to be around. I don't want to be around them. They're not a good witness. Like nobody wants that kind of faith. The balance is right in the middle. It's, It's Daniel and these boys resolve and God says, I love that. Watch me. Watch me give you Favor. Watch me open doors for you. Watch me set you before the very king of this land, of this city. Watch me get involved. It's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Me. Because it's God that works in you, both the will and do of his good pleasure. God. It's this dance or the bicycle analogy is probably the best. Two pedals on a bike. The only way a bike goes forward is, is if both pedals are engaged. I'm responsible and God blesses. My favorite text on this is 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, which, by the way, Chronicles was written in the exile period. In Chronicles, it says this, God's eyes go to and fro across the whole earth, looking for someone to show himself strong on their behalf. I think God's eyes were going to and fro over Babylon. He sees Daniel and his three buddies, and God says, let me show myself strong on your behalf. Let me give you favor before the eunuch. Let me give you wisdom in and, and literature and, and understanding. Daniel, let me give you answers to visions and dreams. God shows himself strong. It's that beautiful dance. Here's the point. Faith, faith is built by small decisions that we make daily. Daniel made a pretty small decision. I don't think it would have been illegal for him to drink or eat at the king's table. He's in a very tough situation. But he makes this really kind of smaller decision. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. The other 96 did. Daniel and his four boys, no, no we're not gonna do that. And, and that decision, the reason why the book is written this way is it launches them into the rest of this book. Fiery furnaces, lion's dens, Daniel standing in front of kings through at least Five successive different kingdoms. Like, he is brilliant. Why? Because he made some small decisions. I will not eat that. All right? So often we think like faith, like, well, faith, you know, I'll keep my faith. If someone from ISIS attacks us and and pulls a gun, (coughs) excuse me, and I cough, and puts it to my head and says, deny Jesus, man, I'm not going to deny Jesus. Jesus. Well, that's not going to happen, especially in Southern Oregon. Everybody has AR-15s. It's just not, he wouldn't come here. He'd know, like, I would go to San Francisco. It's a better place, right? So, so we have these kind of ideas of what, of what it'll look like. Well, that's not real, right? The real decisions of faith are daily. Are we going to believe the vocabulary of this world, this culture that's constantly indoctrinating us? But the only way to get to, ahead is to always look out for number one. Is that how Jesus got ahead? That it's a dog-eat-dog world, and to be top dog, you got to eat some dogs. So I got, a biggest, I got the biggest bite. To rise in a company, you've got to compromise for the company. Oh, really? Huh. Is that the way it goes? Right? Or, or gals, in order to to put yourself out there, you have to look a certain way or, or present these, <laughs> man, I'm just like right there and almost done. <laughs> you have to put yourself out in these certain kinds of ways that, that social media is saying you have to. So we start believing this. Well, faith, faith is built by the very small decisions that we make every single day. The entertainment that we allow into our brains, the way that we speak to other people. Do we believe that's the way of life or do we say Jesus, he is the way, the truth and the life and the daily decisions I'm gonna walk out are those, those kind of decisions. So I'm going to work, not to step on people to get ahead. I'm gonna to go to work, I'm gonna be a peacemaker. I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna start easing tension. I'm gonna do whatever I can to make the workplace a flourishing workplace, easing tension, being kind to people. And I'm gonna trust Jesus to promote me like he did, Daniel. That's different. Social media, like my filter for social media is not gonna be the Kardashians or Kanye. My filter for social media is gonna be Philippians chapter four, verse eight. That if there be anything trustworthy or praiseworthy or virtuous or good or holy or pure, that's what I'm gonna put out there. It's those little decisions. And it's those little decisions that begin to add up and give us faith in the fiery furnace and give us faith to face down lions that king us and queen us, that open up doors for us that no one can imagine. That's the way faith is built. You want your faith increased? Make godly decisions tomorrow. Make godly decisions today. It's like brick by brick, your faith increases and you become something brilliant and unbelievable. So I would challenge us as we come to the table today, as we partake in the broken body, the spent blood of our King, I would simply challenge you to say, what story am I believing? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? And the decisions I'm making today for my family, tomorrow for work, friends, social media, In line with that, or am I believing this other Babylonian narrative that says, here's the way you get ahead. Here's the way of life. What narrative am I believing? And as you partake, say, Jesus, I want to, if you would, re-believe your story. And I want you to work through me so I live it out Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday of this week. That I look like a Jesus king, a Jesus queen in my family, at work, how I deal with people in my priorities. That's what we do. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you demonstrated what real kings, rulers, queens look like. And I ask forgiveness, Lord, for me, even this last week, where I've allowed the culture of Babylon to redefine in my mind what that kingship looks like. And so I pray that you would forgive me and cleanse me, that you would give me vision like a Daniel, give us vision like a Daniel to know lines that we must not cross, that the resolutions that we make would be even empowered this morning by you by partaking, by knowing that you are alive and that you can now live your life through us, that we have been crucified with you. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not we live, but you live through us and the life that we now live, we live through the power of the Son of God who loved us and died for us. May we walk out of here faith-built believers, making decisions, that increase our faith and help us to flourish in whatever Babylon we feel like we're in. So do that work, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.